The body has many ways of defending itself against pathogens, which are disease-causing organisms. Skin, mucus, and cilia all work as physical barriers to prevent pathogens from entering the body in the first place. Vaccines have an important role in protecting us from infectious disease, but how do they work? Vaccinations give protection against specific diseases and boost the body's defense against infection from pathogens without the need to be exposed to dangerous diseases that can lead to death. They interact with your body's natural defenses to create protection, lowering your risk of contracting a disease. Vaccines are also important for preventing and controlling infectious disease outbreaks. They are essential in the fight against antimicrobial resistance and support global health security. Despite tremendous progress, far too many people around the world, including approximately 20 million infants each year, lack adequate immunization access. Vaccination is an example of active immunity, meaning that a person gains immunity through being given a small quantity of antigens required to stimulate an immune response, leading to the production of antibodies and memory cells. When someone is vaccinated, they are very likely to be protected against a targeted disease. But not everyone can be vaccinated. People with underlying health conditions that weaken their immune systems, such as cancer or HIV, or who have severe allergies to some vaccine components, may not be able to get vaccinated with certain vaccines. These people can still be protected if they live in and amongst others who are vaccinated. When a lot of people in the community are vaccinated, the pathogen has a hard time circulating because most of the people it encounters are immune. So the more that others are vaccinated, the less likely people who are unable to be protected by vaccines are at risk of even being exposed to the harmful pathogens. This is called herd immunity. Vaccines have revolutionized global health, eradicating viruses like smallpox and nearly eliminating poliovirus diseases that previously killed millions of people. The number of people who contract preventable infectious diseases like measles, diphtheria, and whooping cough is at an all-time low thanks to vaccines. The practice of immunization dates back hundreds of years. Edward Jenner is considered the founder of vaccinology. In 1796, he inoculated a 13-year-old boy with cowpox and demonstrated immunity to smallpox. In 1798, the first smallpox vaccine was developed. The coming centuries brought rapid progress in vaccinology. Louis Pasteur's 1885 rabies vaccine was the next to make an impact on human disease. And then, at the dawn of bacteriology, developments rapidly followed. Antitoxins in vaccines against tetanus, cholera, plague, tuberculosis, and more were developed through the 1930s. The middle of the 20th century was an active time for vaccine research and development. Methods for growing viruses in the laboratory led to rapid discoveries and innovations, including the creations of vaccines for polio. Researchers targeted other common childhood diseases, such as measles, mumps, and rubella, and vaccines for these diseases reduced the disease burden greatly. However, opposition to vaccination has existed as long as vaccination itself. Jenner's ideas were novel for his time, and they were met with immediate public criticism. Refusing vaccines started back in the early 1800s when the smallpox vaccine started being used in large numbers. 
For some parents, the smallpox vaccination itself induced fear and protest. It included scoring the flesh on a child's arm and inserting lymph from the blister of a person who had been vaccinated about a week earlier. Some objectors believed that the vaccine was unchristian because it came from an animal. For other anti-vaccinators, their discontent with the smallpox vaccine reflected their dis general distrust in medicine and in Jenner's ideas about disease spread. The Vaccination Act of 1853 ordered mandatory vaccination for infants up to three months old and the Act of 1867 extended this age requirement to 14 years, adding penalties for vaccine refusal. The laws were met with immediate resistance from citizens who demanded the right to control their bodies and those of their children. Although the time periods have changed, the emotions and deep-rooted beliefs, whether philosophical, political, or spiritual, that underlie vaccine opposition have remained relatively consistent since Edward Jenner introduced vaccination. However, this belief has been disproved, as there have been returns of once disappeared diseases like measles. In fact, the measles vaccine decreased 74% of childhood deaths from the disease. And as vaccinated mothers protect their unborn children, it would help us protect future generations and our community. The CDC estimated that childhood vaccinations prevented about 419 million illnesses, 26.8 million hospitalizations, and 936,000 early deaths of children born from 1994 to 2018. Besides, harmful ingredients are only harmful when in high concentrations. The usage of such ingredients in vaccines are ensured to be in safe amounts, so they can serve as lifesavers. Also, multiple major medical organizations like the Food and Drug Administration, American Medical Association, and UNICEF recognize vaccines as safe because severe and fatal side effects are rare. In addition, most vaccines are offered free, but if not, it generally costs much less than the medical fees for the disease itself. Therefore, others believe vaccines are an extremely important tool to fight against contagious diseases. So why were people anti-vax? Well, the opposition could stem from a variety of reasons, such as sanitary, religious, and political reasons. Vaccines can lead to mild side effects like fever and nausea, but could also cause psychological ones like autism, and even serious and fatal ones. According to the CDC, all vaccines pose a risk of a life-threatening allergic reaction to approximately one in a million children. Also, people did not trust pharmaceutical companies and the government, thinking they were only trying to gain profit and disregarded the vaccine's impact. Certain vaccines needed to be taken yearly, like the flu vaccine, which could bring them yearly profit. However, it doesn't protect vaccinated people from all strains of flu. Building on, some vaccines contain harmful ingredients like aluminum, which could harm us neurologically, and some ingredients may disgust people, like the part of a cowpox blister being used in smallpox vaccines. Other than that, people thought that diseases were eradicated due to better hygiene around the world. For example, developing countries with poorer sanitation tend to have more diseases than developed ones. Because these diseases were gone, it meant that vaccinations were no longer needed. Therefore, some believe vaccines are ineffective or unnecessary, 
compared to natural immunity. Many types of vaccines could be used to do so. Take COVID-19 as an example. There are multiple vaccines like Pfizer-BioNTech, Johnson & Johnson's Janssen, Moderna, Sinovac, Oxford, AstraZeneca, and many more that are available globally. Which types of vaccine are used depend on the nature of the disease, the best method to create the vaccine, who needs to be vaccinated against the disease, how our immune systems respond to it, like its side effects and effectiveness, as well as how the vaccine is delivered. First, we will be talking about inactivated vaccines, which sends an inactivated version of the target pathogen into the body. Usually, heat, radiation, or chemicals are used to break apart the shell and genetic code of the pathogen to kill it, so it can't replicate and can't cause the disease. When the killed version is sent into the body, it does not cause the disease but still triggers an immune response. The vaccine provides immunity as when the actual live pathogens infects the body. Other than the normal immune response to an unknown disease, the memory B cells remember the disease and antibodies are already present, allowing the immune system to respond quickly. However, the immune response isn't the strongest compared to other vaccines, so multiple doses or booster shots are often needed. Inactivated vaccines fight against diseases like hepatitis A, flu, polio, and rabies. Live vaccines use an attenuated or weakened form of the germ that causes the disease. Because these vaccines are so similar to the natural infection that they help prevent, Attenuated vaccines stimulate a strong and effective immune response that is long-lasting. In comparison to inactivated vaccines, attenuated vaccines produce a stronger and more durable immune response with a quick immunity onset. Attenuated vaccines function by encouraging the body to create antibodies and memory immune cells in response to the specific pathogen which the vaccine protects against. Common examples of live attenuated vaccines are measles, mumps, rubella, yellow fever, and some influenza vaccines. But live vaccines also have some limitations. Because they contain living pathogens, live attenuated vaccines are not given to people with weakened immune systems, such as people undergoing chemotherapy or HIV treatment, as there is a risk that the pathogen could get stronger and cause sickness. Additionally, these vaccines must be refrigerated at all times, so the weakened pathogen doesn't die. Messenger RNA vaccines teaches our cells on how to make a protein that will trigger an immune response inside our bodies when activated. If the cell is triggered from a real virus, our bodies will make antibodies which will help fight the infection. mRNA vaccines represent an alternative to conventional vaccines because of its high potency, rapid development, and low-cost manufacture. This type of vaccine is newly available to the public, but has been studied and researched for decades. Besides COVID-19, mRNA vaccines were also studied for flu, Zika, and rabies. Scientists began designing the instruction for the cells to build the unique spike protein into an mRNA vaccine once there was sufficient information about the coronavirus. Like all vaccines, you gain protection from an mRNA vaccine without having to risk the serious consequences of getting sick from the virus. The vaccine can't give someone the virus and doesn't interact with your DNA. 
subunit, recombinant, polysaccharide, and conjugate vaccines use specific pieces of the germ, like its protein, sugar, or capsid, a casing around the germ. Since these vaccines only use specific pieces of the germ, they produce a strong immune response that's targeted to key parts of the germ. They can be used on almost everyone, including those with weakened immune systems and long-term health issues. Subunit vaccines isolate specific antigens from a virus for use in the vaccine, and these antigens are specifically chosen according to the strength of its immune response. Recombinant vaccines are made for genetic engineering, isolating the gene that creates the protein for the virus so that the immune system can recognize it. Conjugate vaccines use two different components, the outer antigen coat and stronger carrier proteins to trigger the immune system. Polysaccharide vaccines use sugar molecules to chemically link carrier proteins, working similarly to conjugate vaccines. However, a downside of these vaccines is that you may need booster shots to keep the protection ongoing. Some diseases that these vaccines are used for include hepatitis B, HPV, whooping cough, and shingles. Toxoid vaccines uses a toxin which is made by the germ that causes a disease. This vaccine creates immunity to parts of the germ that specifically cause a disease, so the immune response is more targeted to the toxin rather than the whole germ itself. It basically prevents diseases caused by the bacteria that produces toxins in the body. The toxins are weakened when making the vaccines so that they can't cause the disease itself when injected. Like the previous vaccine mentioned, this vaccine may require booster shots to provide an ongoing protection against diseases. Toxoid vaccines are used to protect against diphtheria and tetanus. Scientists have studied viral vector vaccines for decades. Some of the recent vaccines, like the Ebola, have used viral vector technology, and a number of studies have focused on viral vector vaccines and their use against infectious diseases like Zika, flu, and HIV. This was also used to make some COVID-19 vaccines. This vaccine is essentially a modified version of a different virus as a vector to provide protection. Other viruses have been used as vectors, including influenza, vesicular stomatitis virus, VSV, measles virus, and adenovirus, which causes the common cold. Adenovirus was also one of the viral vectors used in some COVID-19 vaccines during clinical trials. This is similar to the mRNA vaccines, but in viral vector vaccines, spike protein DNA is placed inside a modified version of a different virus that doesn't cause illness. This then delivers DNA instructions to your cells. mRNA vaccines contain instructions to teach your cells how to make these proteins. Once your cells create the spike proteins needed, your body breaks down the mRNA. Vaccines have been used to help fight against smallpox since 1796, and vaccine technology has been progressing ever since, targeting even more diseases, with two of last year's mRNA vaccines fighting COVID-19 being the first ever mRNA vaccines to be approved. As the pandemic goes on, discussion still continues today, such as vaccinations for children against COVID-19, as well as vaccine donations to countries suffering from a large viral outbreak. If you want to be vaccinated, make sure to be aware of the possible side effects and consult a doctor if you're unsure whether your body is suitable for the vaccination. 
Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you have gained a better insight into vaccines. And stay safe, everyone.